Welcome back to the Women's Football Podcast. I'm Sakara Bell, and this is our look at all aspects of the women's game domestically and internationally. Coming up, the Lionesses roar past Northern Ireland. Team USA are crowned Queens of the She Believes Cup. City shows no mercy to homeless Birmingham to keep the pressure on at the top. Durham conquer the capital and a look at funding controversy for the joint holders of the World Cup Australia. Joining me to look back at all the action, we have freelance women's football writer, Mittal Samji. Hi, Mittal. Hi, uh, well, nice to be back in here. Also back with us after a while, it's Elsa Cowan. Hi, hi Elsa. Hi, thank you for having me back. <laughs> and making her debut on the podcast, we have sports PR and women's football fan, Beth McHugh. Hi, Beth. Hi, guys. Thanks so much for having me. Of course. And our special guest this week is former manager of Millwall Lionesses, Yeovil Town and most recently London Bees. It's Lee Birch. Hi, Lee. Hi, thanks for having me on. And we'll take a look at all the action in the WSL and the championship later on. But first, during the week, England took on Northern Ireland at St. George's Park. The Lionesses were under the temporary stewardship of Higa Risa and they faced Northern Ireland who were gearing up for a vital playoff game in April. It proved to be a one-sided affair with Risa's side running out 6-0 winners. Ellen White bagged a hat-trick and there were goals from Lucy Bronze, Rachel Daly and Manchester's United very own Ella Toon, who was winning her first cap. Producer Luke attended the post-match press conference and briefly chatted to Higarisa after the game. So the style of football that we saw today was really attractive on the eye. Um, it's a new era as well. Is this a style you're implement, implementing now? Something that is being put in place by Serena as well, so it can be a seamless transition for when she takes over? Well, this is the style that I like to play. I want to uh, not to be too direct, but find the pocket in between and be direct in that perspective, but keeping the ball. And we know when we meet US or Germany, or then we don't create as much as we did today. So we need to be precise, looking for opportunities to run at them. So I think, especially maybe the second half, when it opens up a little bit, we could find the pocket. Um, so really, if we can play the higher player uh, and connect from there, I will be happy. Yeah, and good to see so many debuts as well. Like you say, Ella, Ella too made a real impact in, in the second half. And obviously, Ebony Salmon came on as well as, as, well as Sandy. Um, you must be really impressed, especially with Ella, how she performed and also the other two debutants good to see them come on as well yeah yeah and i uh, seeing ella in training i hadn't seen her that much uh but i saw a few games with the united uh but she covering the space she's always looking to play high um and good passing the combination player so she impressed me and then changing the goalkeeper, the experience uh, since we have three young goalkeepers with us and Ebony coming in, you can see that she, she can adopt. She still have some work to do, <laughs> the pace of the game. Uh, so uh, yeah, and Lotta come in and be a present also. So 
it was good to see them uh, also. Beth, like she said there, it's vital that they learn that style is when you play your USA's, Germany's, Brazil, etc. You, you have to make use of the ball. And Georgia Stanway made a point of it after talking about technical consistency. It's what will be needed next summer, won't it? Yeah, absolutely. I think the, the first and foremost, most important thing for the Lionesses was getting back to winning ways after a year of no matches whatsoever. Um, yeah, so to see it, to see them come out there, come out fighting, really dominate the game. You'd expect it against Northern Ireland, but I think it, yeah, it was it was so impressive. And coming towards the end of Phil Neville's tenure, it I think it became a bit more of a task to watch the Lionesses than something we all enjoyed. But watching them against Northern Ireland, Ireland the play was all positive. Um, you could see the team re- really out there enjoying themselves, and it was just yeah, great to have them back on the pitch after twelve months. Yeah, absolutely. And I think we can all agree with Higa Risa, though, when she said it was fun to watch as well. Um, Ella Toon came on and she looked like she'd been playing in that team for years. She was completely faultless and it was lovely to see, wasn't it? I mean, they let her take the penalty and get her debut goal. Yeah, absolutely. I think everyone was shocked that Jill Scott didn't step up and take it, but an equally lovely moment to see. How old is Alatine? She's 21, 22. Yeah, getting out there, having her first cap and just the joy on her face and the joy on all the other players around her as well. I think that's what international football is all about. And yeah, it was definitely one of the highlights of the match. Yeah, for sure. And it's a game she'll remember forever. Uh, it's, it's a great achievement for Jill Scott getting her 150th cap. She was made captain as well. She took it all in her stride and called it just another game. She's really one of the greats of the women's game, isn't she? She's up there with the likes of Kelly Smith and Farah Williams. She definitely is. She's a player that I've certainly grew up watching and she's always been a part of the Lionesses. Like For me, she's just an essential part, like a piece of the jigsaw for the Lionesses team. I can't imagine ever watching it. And she's not playing. She's got such an influence when she's on the pitch and she guides the younger players as well. Like they had a lot of debutantes who played against Northern Ireland um, on Tuesday as well. And for them playing alongside her would also be a huge thing. And she's got such a head is screwed on so well. She knows what she's doing. And I just think the day she retires and she doesn't play for the Lionesses anymore, she's going to leave a very big pair of boots that actually need filling. Ellen White, she was on fire. Surprisingly, it was her first hat-trick for England. She said she was running around with a smile on her face, and you could tell that, couldn't you? She was absolutely lethal that game. Yeah, definitely. I mean, um, she she can she's like Vidaman, many other strikers like Beth England as well, that they can just score any time and um they could they they're up there for a reason and because they can they can score goals at any time and they can always be prove a difference. Um for both uh, for clubs on the international level, and it clearly shows that. So hopefully, um, maybe in the coming weeks and months as well, that we're going to see more of that. Lee, Northern Ireland, they will learn from this, and they need to be on their game for those playoff games, as it's two massive games. They could make history and qualify for this for the first time. Yeah, definitely. I think they said after the game, you know, this the game against England was really about making sure that, again, they got themselves together, they got themselves prepared for those those games coming forward, getting minutes into the legs of key players and, and working on things as they go forward. And there were some good periods of the game from times when they were keeping England at bay. And um, and I think they're, they're taking lots of positives out of the game, definitely, you know, from introducing some youngsters to getting their key players, gelling with each other a bit more, the likes of Finesse and, um, you know, McGill getting, getting those, those minutes in their legs at international level. 
Scotland couldn't end their Euro qualification campaign on a high. Game was played in Cyprus, and they went into a game into the game against Portugal, full of confidence after a ten nil win over Cyprus. However, they just couldn't follow through on that win as goals from Anna Capita and Fatima Pinto gave the Portuguese a two nil win. And over the Atlantic in America, in America, the She Believes Cup has taken place over the past week. Unsurprisingly, it was the host who won the trophy after winning all three games without conceding a goal. Megan Rapinoe was the star of the show as she bagged all three goals in the tournament and the WSL stars also took centre stage. Alex Morgan also bagged her first goal since becoming a mother and Rose Lavelle picked up the most valuable player, which she downplayed saying, I can't believe I won that. Beth, the USA, I mean, they'll definitely be the ones to, to beat and to watch in the Olympics, won't they? Absolutely. I think the thing that's terrifying about the US women's national team is that during the She Believes Cup, they weren't even at their best. Um, The match against Brazil could have gone either way. It ended up as a 2-0 victory, but Brazil had more than enough chances to make it a 1-1, a 1-1 game. But yeah, the US US women's national team and the, the, the mindset that they have and the winner's mentality that they have, it's just frightening. Um, it wasn't really until the Argentina game where they really came out and dominated and showed what they're about. But the the level of depth and talent that they have is just terrifying. And like, I just don't see anyone topping them. Yeah, definitely. I agree with that one. And on to domestic matters now and in the WSL. Second place, Manchester City travelled to Birmingham City, who were surrounded in some controversy before the game. The Blues were told they had to move the fixture from Dems Park to St. George's Park as the ground didn't meet the regulations for the fixture. It was a move which Carla Ward criticised, saying that they had only been informed 45 minutes before the end of training. It proved a fruitless afternoon for Ward's side against Man City, ran out comfortable winners thanks to two goals from Sam Mewis, Lauren Hemp and Caroline Weir. Mittal, it's tough enough facing Man City as it is. Do you think with all this disruption and fallout from Friday made any difference or not? It didn't prove to be a difference and it proved to be the, the kind of like deja vu way in terms of how it's just the same story for Birmingham. They've not um, won a... Women's Super League game at home this season. So all their victories um, so far this season have all been away from home. Um, it wasn't an encouraging display, uh, of course, not because the scoreline reflects that. But what I will say that even the early stages, even like the um, the kind of like opening 14, or you can say the first half in terms of the remaining 14 minutes, um, Birmingham did do a really good shift in terms of like um, being quite defensive and trying to like, trying to achieve something out of the game. And um, having, having their being on the back foot for most of the game and they were trying to find ways in terms of um, trying to break that kind of past the Man City defence but they really failed to do it there was not really much of a link up play there was not really much of um, no attacking flair at all in the team um, and they got simply got caught up when they tried um, going to the final third through Manchester City because um, they're up there for a reason they're ruthless they're always, they're always going to be up there with Chelsea in terms of, in terms of being fighting for the WSL title um, and when to the moment when Sam Mewis got the opening goal in the around just before half time, that kind of changed the complexity of the game completely. Um, it was a really good driving header um, to give Man City the lead, and it was our first appearance back from injury, so it was a positive way to actually start um, to start the game in in her return. And she also scored 
the second just moments, um, just like in the beginning of the second half as well. Um, and it was it was just a one-sided game ever since. Um, then after the later on, the Noren had scored an audacious effort uh, from from the left-hand corner, um, and then of, of course she she um, suffered a knock during the process, and as well as then. Then Caroline Weir obviously tapped in from close range to settle the win. And of course, they've extended their winning run to eight games. Um, they seem to be unstoppable at the moment. And while we'll say there's been this kind of bond, or not bond, I would say, we'll say the understanding, and they've built a lot of great passage of play during the course of the game between Ellen Wright, Lauren Hemp, and Chloe, Chloe Kelly, because they've been they've been doing that throughout most of the games. And they could have won one more, but um it's an it's an emphatic win. It's an important win, and I'm sure it will be much more of a difference in terms of um, the goal difference as well at the end if um, they win the title because goal differences can be huge at the moment as well in in, in terms of the deciding factor in the title race. But of course, um, they have to rely on the likes of Chelsea to be dropping points. But of course, they have to do their jobs and continue winning from right from now until the end of the season. Of course, and there were there were absolutely no signs of rustiness from the likes of Mewis today, was there? There was no signs of rustiness. So I don't think even um, Manchester City were, were really tested at all throughout the game. Um, they were very comfortable. Um, it, it, even from the beginning, when they had some chances, they failed to really get the opening goal. But you felt that there was, the goal was going to come, so there was no hesitation at all. It was a simply one-sided game. Um, Birmingham really find it hard to break past their defensive line. So um, they, really got, they really got tested. It was just a more of a... a, a a calm and collective performance in the end. Yeah, definitely. We heard from Molly and Susie last week who think that Chelsea will have enough to hold off Manchester City, but it's going to be a close run thing, isn't it? It definitely will be. They're both the two, two of the biggest teams in the WSL and Chelsea have always been right on the back of the heels of the likes of City and United. I know United haven't been in the league for as long as the likes of Arsenal, Chelsea and City, but you know, they've got Frank Kirby and there's just no stopping her at the moment. She's scoring goals for fun. So unless they they can somehow put a stop to her, I think uh, it's definitely going to be a tight contest. But it always is. And um, it'd be really boring if it was a tight contest, wouldn't it? Yeah, definitely. No one likes a boring game. For Birmingham, it's no win in four now. That will be a concern for Carla Ward, won't it? Yeah, I think so. I think, you know... You- you're looking at trying to pick up some points of where you can do. I say it's no winning four, but I think they've grabbed a couple of draws in there. So that will keep them ticking over, getting them to where they want to be into the, into the table and making sure that they look ahead to the fixtures. I mean, they got some tough ones coming up, the likes of Arsenal and Everton, but those fixtures when they play the likes of West Ham and Bristol are really going to be the, um, you know, six pointers. They're going to be the moments that where they don't get dragged backwards and, that, and they keep in and around where they've been so far. Carla's done a fantastic job. I think everyone can see that. You know, she, yeah. she's she's had some real, um, you know, challenges to put up with, and and they had another one again today where they've moved uh, they've moved uh, from their home venue. So, which to a, a man for a Man City players, St George's Park isn't isn't too too away from home for a lot of their England players. So, yeah, she she's done excellent. Birmingham, I think, will be fine, but it's um, about picking points up. Yeah, definitely. 
Um, Arsenal got back to winning ways after back-to-back defeats with a 4-0 win at Aston Villa. It took just under an hour for the Gunners to break the deadlock with Beth Mead setting up Vivian Miedemar to score her 13th goal of the season. Then nine minutes later, Jordan Nobbs added a second with Katie McCabe and Lisa Evans completing the victory. Beth, it was important that Arsenal got back to back to winning ways after those two defeats, wasn't it? Yeah, absolutely. I think when it got to the hour mark, it had a sort of feeling of, oh God, here we go again, more points dropped. Um, but yeah, credit to Villa. They defended very well for an hour, but Arsenal just had too much quality in the end. They they pressed and they broke them down. And um, it was a real important win, uh, Arsenal's first win of 2021. And hopefully from here, yeah, they can set up and they can continue on and reach that Champions League spot, I say, as a biased Arsenal fan. Um, but I think the, the the performance that stood out for me was Katie McCabe, who, in my opinion, has been Arsenal's player of the season, picking up a goal and an assist today as well, all from left back with uh, Steph Catley out injured. And it does make me think if Arsenal had a full a full strength squad, um, would the would the WSL table look a bit different? It's very hard to say. But yeah, Katie McCabe from left back has put in shift after shift when. There have been certain games against the big teams where all hope has seemed lost, but a couple of a couple of really good performances out there today, but a really important team win. Absolutely. And I mean, it must be frustrating for Joe Montemuro that they can comfortably beat the teams below them, but they just seem to freeze when they play the teams above them in the table. Do you think Montemuro is under pressure? I think, I think so. I think you can't have Arsenal's record against the, the other big two teams and not look at your manager and look at your tactics in those games and start to question what um, what Emma Hayes is doing and what Joe isn't. But yeah, you, you're absolutely right. When it comes to those matches, you just, you, you see the lineups and you think team to team, they do have the quality to match them. But when it comes to, when it comes to the games, they just seem to fade and they seem to be broken down and they just don't seem to have, to have what it takes. Um, and it, it's just been the case in the last two seasons and going on from the victory the season before, they just don't seem to have had the ability to build on their performances. And in these big games, they just get shut out. With that defeat, Villa will still be having a, nerv- a nervous glance over their shoulders, won't they? Yeah, I think so. I think that the um, the form of Bristol City has had everybody um, just above them looking over their shoulder. So I, again, I think Villa have done well to get to the point there, there where they're at at the moment. But, you know, West Ham and Bristol were good sides and are starting to well certainly Bristol are starting to look on the up so yeah I think Villa will be looking over their shoulder but again it's going to come down to those those games when they play against each other I think uh, you know correct me if I'm wrong I think Villa and West Ham have got to play each other twice so you know there's two massive games there which it could come down to and 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 seeing what Bristol can do in the meantime to to catch Villa up but yeah certainly an interesting race down there I think as everyone saw it you know as soon as Matt Beard come in Bristol just had this upturn in in performance and and well maybe not performance but definitely results you know I think they probably argue that they're playing quite well prior to that but yeah out of nowhere a couple of big results not only in the league but in the cup which has built confidence in the group and has really um you know pulled themselves towards uh you know Villa and West Ham so yeah I think it's a race that probably you know if we're honest six weeks ago I think people were talking that it was kind of done and dusted but it shows very quickly what maybe a bit of confidence and a bit of impetus from from a, a, a new set of eyes uh, coming into the into the group has done one or two good results and we've we've all of a sudden got a very very big race on our hands. 
Yeah, absolutely. That's for sure. And of course, the only other game in the WSL saw an entertaining contest at the Hive, where Everton won by the odd goal in five. Two penalties by the returning Valerie Govan saw them race into a two-goal lead before Angela Addison pulled one back before half-time. Gemma Davidson equalised 12 minutes into the second half, but it was the Toffees who grabbed the winner and it just had to be Jill Scott who got it. That win leaves Everton on Arsenal's coattails, four points behind in fifth position. Elsa, Jill Scott, she's really the woman of the moment, isn't she? Just what a week she has had. Yeah, she certainly is having a glorious time in football at the moment. When I was quite surprised with her move across to Everton, but I think it's definitely something that she's going to really enjoy and it was the right decision for her to go and sort of try a hand at playing at a different team because she's been at City for such a long time now and she's got such next such experience as well. She's maybe the sort of head that Everton needs to maybe try and guide them a little bit more, maybe change up the play a little bit for them, but it does, like you said, get better and better for her. I mean going on and scoring for Everton as well and having such a great game for the Lionesses. Yeah, she's certainly having a great time at the moment. And Lee, it's vital for Everton that Valerie Govan is back amongst the goals, isn't it? Yeah, hugely. I think Everton have um, you know, relied on her quite quite heavily since she's been at the club. She's been a, an excellent signing for them. And, you know, whether they're penalties or from outside the box is important because, you know, th- those pressure penalties put them, put them into a good position in the game. And when they obviously got dragged back to two all, um, you, you didn't know Spurs would go on and, and get a much needed result for them. But um, yeah, important, important result for, for Everton as they, as they continue to push on. Rianne Skinner had a fantastic start to a Spurs career after taking over from one from Karen Hills, but she lost her last three games. However, that shouldn't detract her from the job that she's done so far, should it? Well, I think there were three big victories she got straight away against teams that were down there and uh, they, they, it shows that they've needed them really because you look at their fixtures and they've got a really, really tough run coming up. You know, Brighton is is their next game, I believe, and that's going to be a massive uh, game for them because after that, the likes of Reading, Arsenal, City, Man United, Chelsea, you know, it's not a nice run for Tottenham before they finish off, I think, with Birmingham. So, you know, there might be a game in there of I've missed out through that's got to be rearranged but that is a real tough run of fixtures and I think it will put a little bit of pressure for the Brighton game and you know Everton are a very good side and Tottenham will probably be kicking themselves a little bit after getting back to two all that they didn't take a point which might be you know might be really important coming to the end of the season when I, when I look at that fixture list um I, I worry a little bit for Tottenham as far as you know where, where are they going to get yeah. the points to just keep themselves out of it but they, yeah, Rianne done brilliantly and got the points on the board early doors. She's a very good coach. And next, we're going to take a look at the championship. You probably think you're pretty good at multitasking behind the wheel. I mean, you have to multitask to drive. So what's wrong with checking your phone? The thing is, your brain simply doesn't work that way. Even a quick look at the message, a quick reply, affects your concentration and makes you less able to react to hazards. If you use a mobile phone while driving, you're four times more likely to crash. Think. 
Put your phone away. In the championship, the early kickoff saw unbeaten Durham travel down to South London to face London City Lionesses. And the side from the North East took all three points thanks to a 38th minute goal from Emily Roberts. Lee, I think a lot of people expected Durham to fade away. It's, it's incredible stuff, isn't it? They're an excellent side. You know, Durham, I've, I've played against them so many times and every game, I think, bar one has, has been one goal, you know, swing either way for a victory or, or a loss. And especially away from home, obviously the travel up there is always tough, but Durham have this ability. And if you look at their, their games this season, they just manage to win. They just manage to keep ticking the games off, winning by one goal, yeah. two ones all the time. And it's really impressive. Leicester can have the ability, it seems, to blow teams away. Um, Durham just keep ticking them off. And I know that that's probably a little bit of a worry for Lee Sanders because getting to the end of the season, it could come down a goal difference, especially if Durham do manage to beat Leicester. And at the moment, Leicester do have that ability to, to you know, as I said, blow teams away. But Durham have, have had a great season and London City are in good form. So it's a good result. Absolutely. And like like we've discussed, they're so hard to score against. It's only nine goals conceded all season. But Leicester responded with a big win of their own as Hannah Kane's goal gave them a 1-0 win over Crystal Palace. That win puts Jonathan Morgan's side back to the top of the table on a goal difference. And crucially, they also have a game in hand. Beth, you have to say Leicester are in pole position currently, aren't they? Yeah, I think I think that game in hand is crucial. It's quite similar to the top of the WSL as, as well, isn't it? Um, with Chelsea having a game in hand over City. Um, but it, it's exciting that we've got two, uh, two exciting title races in both leagues. Um, and yeah, I'd love to see Leicester in the in the WSL um, and another team that's heavily backed by its men's pairing club as well. So yeah, I'd be excited to see what they can do. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Mittal, Leicester's decision to go full-time and really go for it this season is providing to be a good decision now, isn't it? Oh, definitely. Um, we want to see um, we want to see teams um, going to like professional professionalise in terms of the women's super league. And we want to see more of like these kind of like success stories. Like we've seen with West Ham women like a couple of years back when they from they had a transition from being from a woman to simply being the ladies team to now actually full-time establishment women's team. So we want to see um, in terms of in terms of overall development of the coverage, to see these kind of stories and to see clubs like that, clubs like Leicester, to actually guard them, be in the pinnacle in terms of full-time professionals, because it's going to serve our game better uh, as ever. And we want to see more teams up in the women's Super League to make it ultra competitive, because we just want to see more teams. We want to see more of them. Yeah, I know for sure. And Lee, last week, Molly and Susie were split on who were going to win the division. If you had to pick a winner, who would you pick? Um, I think I'd like to see Durham. I'd like to see Durham do it from a from a point of view of seeing them push over the many many seasons I've been been playing against them and and seeing the work they've been doing behind the the scenes to to continue to push in and, and get the the money not from a Premier League side which is great and I think what you said there is important. We do need the backing, but it's so good to see these independent sides. Um, do well and, and get the opportunity. And Durham have been up there for many years. They're, they're a good side. I think every time you see them play against a WSL side, they never get rolled over. You know, they gave Man United a real tough time when they were in the division. Um, they got good backing, good players, and they, they do things correctly. So I like to see I like to see Durham do it. But you know, if not yeah. a very good side, unless they will will creep up there and and again will will be in the WSL at some point. Because again. 
good players, good management, yeah. good club. Durham, they're, they're the team to watch at the moment, I think. Um, Liverpool, they grabbed their first win in three games with a 3-0 win over London Bees. Rebecca Jane opened the scoring after just nine minutes and London Bees were in it for the long periods. But two goals in six second half minutes from Kerry Holland and Amy Rogers meant Liverpool stay fourth, 10 points off the top spot. And the Bees dropped to second bottom after a fourth straight defeat. Lee, it's been a really, really tough season for the Bees, isn't it? I mean, just tell us what's happened. Well, I think, I'll be honest, I think it's been kind of a normal season for London Bees. You know, they're, they're normally down at the, the bottom end of the, the table when you talk about the finances and resources coming into, into the division. We spoke about Leicester and, and how this league is moving towards a full-time uh, model. So I think it, it, it's it's really tough for those teams with less resources and less finances to continue to compete. Last season, we managed to be in the fifth place as we head um, we headed into COVID, obviously closing the league down. Yeah. And we, we deserve to be there. Um, but this season, yeah. it was the case of, you know, back to kind of normality and having that fight down the bottom. Uh, game today, I think it just showed again when you're playing against full-time teams and uh, the three substitutions they made towards the end when actually Bees were, were on top of Liverpool beginning in the second half. You know, there was probably a 20-minute spell where London Bees were definitely the better side and then, you know, Liverpool made those changes, brung the likes of Rachel Finesse, Lawley and Rogers in and, and the fitness and the full-time aspect of Liverpool um, come to the forefront and, and ended up um, getting those extra goals and, and winning the game but um you, you get those matchups you get those matchups but I think this yeah. is a natural is it it's a natural position to for bees to be in um to be honest I think the, the bottom three are down there because of the maybe the resources and the, the finances that they've had to had to deal with over a, yeah. a long period of time now that you've departed the club what 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 are your plans well I think it's a, a case of just taking stock on and reviewing and reflecting on on how things have gone so far. I've been quite unlucky with regards to I've been involved in three sides that have all had, you know, financial problems. Um, I'm starting to think it's me maybe a little bit. And, um, but no, it's it's a case of just taking stock and, and deciding what, what is next for me. Because, uh, as I said, I've been very lucky to, to work at three very good football clubs. Um, but the, the journey's ended because of the financial constraints we, we've sort of spoke about before for, yeah. for some of these clubs. So, um, I'm sort of in a period of not not really knowing. I'd, I'd like to continue in, in the, the women's game, but it is very hard to get back into when you're out. And there's a lot of lot of good people out there that are doing lots of good jobs. And, you know, it's a case of maybe waiting for something to come up. And in the meantime, I've got a background in, you know, non-league men's and, and, and youth football and things. So if it takes me in another direction, then so be it. But at the moment, I've just got to wait and see, keep keep an eye and and see if another opportunity arises I'm hoping it does but I'm also realistic that um yeah it's it's tough of course well without a doubt I'm very sure you get snapped up really quickly so you'll be just fine I'm sure um <laughs> and the final <laughs> no worries and the final game in the championship saw a basement battle between Coventry and Charlton and it was the visitors who grabbed all three thanks to the second half goals from Jessica King and Lewis Her Chen and the wind has taken Charlton off to the bottom of the table above both Coventry and the London Bees Lee today has worked out really well for Charlton hasn't it with that win 
Yeah, it has. And I think it was it was always going to happen. I think that Charlton with their games in hand and, and the quality they've got in the, in the side were, were going to pick up points. I think the big thing for them has been trying to get a victory. I think before today, I mean, it's like one victory in nearly like 18 months when you consider last season. So it's been very tough for them to win games. That they've, they, they picked up a few draws here and there and they always looked like they were going to get that result. So um, and I think they, they definitely feel, I think they were 2-0 up against Coventry earlier on in the season. So it's a, it's a big morale boost for them and also obviously jumps them up. I think from a London Bees point of view, it's, it's probably not the worst result because I think the battle between them and Coventry will, will now go, go to the wire. And Bees also have to play Charlton. So both teams have the opportunity to get points against each other uh, and try to push themselves uh, away from away from Coventry. But yeah, big result for Charlton. Um, and they've had a good couple of weeks with the new takeover. So that will that's all coming at the right time for them. Yeah, definitely. And and for Coventry, as we mentioned a few weeks ago, they have these grand plans to work their way up to the championship and hopefully beyond. If they are to fulfil that plan, it's vital that they don't go down into the, into the National League, isn't it? Yeah, it's it's an interesting one. I think next season, I, I would be very surprised if most, if not 90% of the, the championship is, is not full-time or sort of these hybrid models that a lot of teams are talking about and that's where certain teams will will struggle but I think you're going to have 90% of them like that and if Coventry or, or whoever have those ideas but then go into tier three um, obviously there's things to worry about around whether the National League continues and whether there's promotion or relegation if that actually happens and licensing from the FA and I'm sure there's 101 questions before then but it's great to see a club like that do it and give it a go, as we mentioned Durham earlier. So fingers crossed for them, they can do that, even yeah. if they, they, they do go down, because you want teams to to keep investing into their into their women's sides and into their clubs. Definitely. And over the past week, Australia FA have applied for funding to improve the infrastructure of the game in time so that the 2023 World Cup, which they are jointly hosting with New Zealand, will leave a legacy. I caught up with our Oceana colleague, Karis Newton to chat more about it. So Karis, uh, obviously we know that the World Cup is being jointly hosted between my beautiful homeland Australia and New Zealand in 2023. The Federation are currently seeking $275 million over eight years to address the Legacy 23 plan and to help improve the facilities and infrastructure. Just what do you think this means for Australia and New Zealand? I mean, if it all goes through, I think it's it's something that's very exciting for women's football in the region. Uh, first and foremost, there's a there's a huge. I think it's fair to say there is a huge amount of work to do in providing parity between, uh, particularly men and women's football. You know, I read read an article about the funding that Australia was seeking, and it's it, a lot of it's just to cover basic things. So I think a good chunk of it is just playing catch up, and I also think the mark kind of a hallmark of any really well-organized large sporting event is um, the commitment to legacy. If you look at the London Olympics, those facilities are all there and still being used. Japan had a similar approach and you've seen where it's sort of not worked in places like Athens and Rio. Again, I think it's fair to say where some of that infrastructure is now just kind of been thrown out with the bathwater. So yeah, I, th- I think it's really exciting to see them at least looking looking ahead to it and, and, and thinking about it now because it is something that will take time to put in place oh, as absolutely. well. 
Yeah, no, for sure. Um, and we know that Australian FA CEO James Johnson has said that this will help cement a legacy uh, to ensure the benefits of co-hosts in the tournament are fully utilised. $180 million of that will go towards infrastructure to help improve the grounds. Bearing in mind, only one in five grounds has female changing rooms. I mean, that's really shocking, isn't it? I, I can't fathom that. Is it a similar situation in New Zealand? And do you think the government are going to follow a similar path? Uh, I think I think it's very similar here. And I'm, I'm really interested to see what the New Zealand Football Federation, uh, if they're going to pitch in a similar way to the Australian one, because while women's sport generally here is pretty well established, we have a, a big history of women's rugby over here. Yeah. Um, women's football is is playing catch up you know it's got a long way to go and it's again it's one of the fastest growing sports in the UK women's football and it's becoming more and more kind of highly viewed in terms of viewership numbers it's becoming more of a commodity so on a commercial level it absolutely makes sense but also just in providing parity uh, between the genders um, I think it's yeah it's a really important step to take and I'm, I'm excited to see what it means for women's football in New Zealand. Yeah, absolutely. I, I completely agree with you there. Um, so the countries down under, I mean, we need a home of football, don't we? Where the Matildas and the Socceroos could train and, of course, to ensure the Matildas get the preparation they need to win the Women's World Cup in 2023. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And we've got a bit of a bit of a mountain to climb ahead of us here in New Zealand as well. You know, there isn't a professional women's league here. There's, there's push to get a professional team established in New Zealand to play in the W League so that we have a joint Australian New Zealand League which I think would be would be amazing but currently many of the top New Zealand team the the Whiteburns play overseas for most of the year so actually having that home ground and that support to be able to train as a team and play in a local league as a team particularly in the current climate um you know that they've already got a long way to go and I think that would be a huge help to them yeah definitely I mean I think they're definitely on the right right path to say the least and sixty thousand dollars is expected to go towards participation of women's football uh clearly being a female myself growing up and loving sport it's all I ever wanted to do but again the participation of women's sport, let alone football, just wasn't there. This is so exciting and it is to everyone else. And I think we're finally on that right path to put ourselves on the world sporting map. Oh, I couldn't agree more. I think it's an amazing uh, next step. And, and it's something that I really, obviously, we're just at the pitching stage at the moment. But I, I think the pitch was really solid. And one of the overall themes of the World Cup pitch itself was sustainability. And obviously, that's environmental sustainability but also a, a big punt of that was getting more women in sport and keeping them in sport there's a huge dropout of young girls at teenage uh, yeah. sort of level. and you know if you're telling a teenage girl she's got to go get changed in the boys changing room you've immediately got got a hurdle to cover that you know men just don't so yeah. if we're going to make those steps um yeah we just need to make some changes and and support our girls so many girls love sport I know I did <laughs> Yeah, no, definitely. I mean, it, yeah, it's so exciting. I can't wait. Um, and then, of course, like we just said, if we can boost female participation in, in football, it will then lead to high-performance programs and then increase, of course, sponsors and then finances will then increase as well. Um, but I guess it's a whole new ball game, don't you think? Or are we, again, are we closer than we think? I, I, I hope we're closer than we think. I, I like to think, 
you know, I've, I've been working in, in sports media for a while and even just through through my kind of short career at the moment there, there have been big changes and big changes in attitudes towards women's sports sort of on a very high level across the board. I would love to see something similar to the academies um, yeah. in this part of the world where you, you have, um, yeah, boys and girls academies that just give them that that chance and that support that they need. It's, it's so hard if you don't have the support to transfer into professional sport and professional football. So I think, yeah, just those initial steps towards giving girls that support that they need will just, I, I think we'll see huge changes and that I'm excited by it. Yeah. Exactly. I mean, I remember like playing sport when I was younger and things like that and always wanting to, to go further. Do you know what I mean? To be a professional athlete. athlete and then it's like oh where do we go from here like there's there's no sort of like performance programs as we said so hopefully this could be the change that that's needed right now and of course FIFA they're yet to decide within the coming weeks the host cities do you have any ideas which cities will make the final cut I think we we already know that Sydney and Auckland will be two of the cities with one committed to host the semi-final and one to host the final I believe the opening match has also been allocated to those stadiums um Looking at the upcoming Cricket World Cup we have in the UK, I mean, some of it will come down to uh, stadium availability as well. But looking at some of the cricket um, host cities in New Zealand, we're looking at places like Dunedin and Christchurch, Wellington. It would be really great to see parity between the North and the South Island, just so that all of New Zealand can see themselves represented in some way and I would love to see the same through Australia as well but I'll be watching watching the press release closely. And just on that note we saw the 2018 Commonwealth Games held at the Gold Coast in Australia and it put the Gold Coast on the tourism map and there was a total of 670,000 visitors arrived on the Gold Coast and the economic impact from tourism reached around 320 million dollars I think. Do you think this could be the start of something great putting Australia and New Zealand on that football radar? I think there's so much potential over here for that to happen. You know, sport is sport is valued across New Zealand and Australia, um, and it, they're they're fairly progressive in the sense that there is a real push for women's sport and men's sport across the board. And yeah, I just I really think it's the perfect place to host them, and I think it's just such an amazing opportunity for the this region, you know, the islands as well, and and the local areas to just really benefit from what would be a really amazing tournament I think and um, yeah yeah just amazing to see the legacy it would leave behind. Yeah no definitely I think there's so many exciting times ahead. Yeah me too. A couple of new contracts have been signed this week at Manchester United with goalkeeper Mary Earps and Hayley Ladd both signing up for another two years at the club. This just shows doesn't it that Manchester United wouldn't this season to be a fluke and that they want to become an elite club at the the WSL. Yeah definitely Manchester United have had an amazing season and they deserve to be in the top flight of women's football and having Casey Stoney in charge she's just led them all the way up the table definitely but obviously in the last couple of games they've had like a couple of mixture of results but I don't think that in any way discredits the effort that they've put in over the past few years to climb that table and they definitely deserve to be up there in my opinion. And finally, news that I know disappointed one of our regular contributors, Liv Griffiths, of a future department from the WSL of Reading's Welsh International. 
And Gerard James, she has agreed to a two-year deal to join NWSL side North Carolina Courage. Both clubs say that James will move on a mutual on a date mutually agreed upon by by the Courage and Reading that will be announced at a later time. Beth, you know a lot about the NWSL. What can she expect over there? Well, firstly, I think it's a brilliant move for um, Ankara James and she's been absolutely incredible for Reading this season. Um, So it's a move that's very well deserved. Uh, The Courage are going to be interesting, I think, in the next NWSL season. Obviously, they've lost Sam Mewis and they've lost Abby Dalcamba, who are two of the best players in the world, they walk into any starting 11. So it will be a different season, I think. I think the Portland Thorns are going to be very strong, signing uh, Crystal Dunn and Becky Sauerbrunn from the US Women's National Team to add into Lindsay Huron, who they've already got there as well. So I think it's going to be a really interesting season. The Houston Dash, can they back up their, their Challenge Cup victory as well? So it's not going to be the Courage show, I don't think, because it's been in seasons gone by, but it's definitely going to make for a close encounter and a brilliant season ahead of her, hopefully. Yeah, of course. And just on that note, they're they're an interesting side, aren't they? They have a new owner, Steve Malik, who has moved the team to North Carolina from New York. And tennis player Naomi Osaka has recently become a shareholder in them, hasn't she? Yeah, she has actually. And following on from Serena Williams uh, taking a stake in the in the in the newly formed Los Angeles team as well as well. I think there's yeah, there's a lot of star power in the US um, that just builds the profile out there and it builds the marketing. And that's the kind of stuff that you need for the women's go- the women's game to grow on an international level. Um, and hopefully we'll see that uh, resonate and come back here in the UK as well. Of course. And it's quite a big deal for the clubs getting somebody like James in at her peak and is currently a Welsh international. Do you think we could see them raid more WSL clubs? I definitely think so as well. I know um, people have spoken about, will Amy Turner go over there as well? Will she be the one to replace Dal Camper? That is just gossip at this, at this stage, I know. Um, but I think what's interesting is in the past year, how much we've seen US players come over to the UK because of the pandemic. The next season will tell, was that just to facilitate while the, the US league was down? Will they return back to their home clubs in America? I don't know. But I think seeing more English stars go out to America and more American stars come here to England is great in both countries. And I, I, yeah, I'd love to see more American players come here and equally see more English players in the, in the NWSL. Yeah, I agree with you 100%. Well, that's all we have time for this week. Lee, thank you very much for joining us and best of luck on your next move. Thank you very much. And also a great debut from you, Beth, as well. Yeah, thanks so much for having me, guys. Really enjoyed it. Of course, no worries. And also thank you to Mittal and Aisa for joining us this week. No problem, guys. Um, Really enjoyed it as well. And um, hopefully more more of it to come next week. Yeah, thank you very much. Thanks, guys. And guys, don't forget to subscribe to the podcast on all podcasting platforms and give us a follow on social media. On Twitter, we are at TWFP1. On Instagram, it's the Women's Football Podcast. And we have now set up our YouTube channel. So make sure you subscribe to that to get the exclusive content. Thank you very much for listening. Look after yourselves and we'll talk to you very soon.